Hello and welcome to Storytime with Bemsey, where we read stories together and talk about them. Or rather, where I read stories to you and tell you what I think about them. Today's story is Beards and Coffee Rum and it was written by Howard Maximus. Before we go into today's story, a quick word about the author. Howard Maximus is a contemporary Cameroonian writer and biotechnologist. He's a staff writer for Bakwa Magazine, a literary journal based in Cameroon, and has published his work in many other international journals. He was also the recipient of the 2020 Miles Morland Fellowship. In today's story, we follow an unnamed narrator as he navigates a devastating loss. Without any spoilers, here is Beards and Coffee Rum by Howard Maximus. They say I look depressed. I tell them not to be silly. I am a man. Men don't get depressed over a woman leaving them at the altar. Men don't get depressed at all. They say I am losing my mind. That something like this should never befall a man. Around me, they walk on their toes. Their words are mild breezes meant to fly above my head straight into each other's ears. But I hear them. I tell them the scruff on my face is not a sign of mourning. The bush beneath it is a fashion statement. My abstemiousness is not starvation. These days, everyone is a snake shedding their own skin. Everyone is emerging into something new. Mine is the perfect age for a midlife crisis. They say I look depressed. I tell them not to be silly. I am a man. Men don't get depressed over a woman leaving them at the altar. Men don't get depressed at all. I have started to like the taste of coffee. I mix it with rum for effect and call it coffee rum. Quintus asks me if I am okay after every sip and I want to punch him. I repeat that men don't get depressed over women leaving them. But this is not just any woman, he tells me. A declaration, like the woman in question was hypothetical. A casual what-if. Like it was someone else's story he was trying to get my opinion on. This is the love of your life. Has been the love of your life for what? 18, 19 years now? That is as long as having an adult child. All of us were looking up to you, you know. So that's why I want to know how you're doing. If you know where she went, why she went. You keep saying you're fine, but, bro, we all can see you're not. I empty my glass in one gob, rub my nose against the rim and inhale. The lingering smell of the coffee and the spirit is divine. Quintus is still looking at me when I look up. Q, I tell him. I'm fine. I have started talking to someone I met on social media. You flirt with strangers these days and they transform into psychotherapists. My social media shrink says I should write down my worst regrets about the wedding that did not happen. I am looking at myself in the mirror and loving my new look. If I had known that the wild beard would look this good on me, I would have kept it for the wedding. Would not have cared what Kina thought about facial hair and the discomfort of kissing, or her mother's opinion on beards and their inverse relationships with responsibility. 
I write in the journal that I have started to keep, the one that Q thinks is ridiculous, me keeping. That what I regret most about that wedding day is that when all the attention was on me, a shocked, jilted groom and Twitteratis were pulling out their phones for evidence. That I looked in my white and silver suit like a mere boy, shaven and smooth like a spoon. The night brings thoughts of Quintus scribbling his best man speech with a pencil, wearing his favorite sweatpants, shooting rubber shirt keys at anyone who attempts to come close to reading it before it was ready. The day I told him Kina said yes, I had told him too that brothers don't become best men at their brother's wedding. He had laughed and then joked about the wedding falling apart if he wasn't the best man. A statement he finds himself apologizing too many times for now, unnecessarily. Memories are nocturnal beings that only visit at night. It is sitting beside me and I am watching it like a performance. The time we first met as teenagers attending the same evening school. Kina trying to take the O-levels in Form 4 against her mother's wish. And Purse. And I, a bike rider, attempting the exams for the third time. Our first kiss, behind a wooden classroom, was the signature of unspoken contracts. One that saw all my money towards our education. But wouldn't every gardener happily water a flower that blooms so brilliantly? Money spent on Kina was never wasted. Her results were always something to keep mouths agape, in both wonder and admiration. The only thing that tasted better than her food were her kisses. The first time she took out our seed, without my prior knowledge, I held her tight, both of us shivering, scared and thankful that she was fine. The last time she took out our seed, without my prior knowledge, I held her tight, but this time, to stop myself from strangling her, for we were both adults with jobs and resources and I deserved to know for I had asked her to marry me, for I had already started to name the twin daughters the echography had gossiped would soon be mine. Nineteen years, three abortions, and a lot of millions later. Kina is in a wedding dress I bought. She's carrying a bouquet of red roses and my brother Quintus's baby. I have not been able to feel since the first time I caught them in his bed. I have helped them hide his underwear under my pillow when I find it in my room. Toss it among his other dirty laundry when no one was around. Tucked pills and hospital reports in their drawers. Left the house for them when I sensed tension. I have listened in on phone calls and read messages without tearing the entire house down. I am standing at the altar. A groom so groomed, there is not a single hair strand on my face. A note comes in her handwriting, apologizing for leaving me like this, saying I shouldn't wait for her for I will never see her again. I hold my breath, pass it to Q, who almost passes out. He passes it to someone, who passes it to someone, and then someone else until St. Vincent Chapel is suddenly a beehive, buzzing. I call the boys later to congratulate them on their mastery of penman forgery. They could afford even me. I send them their balance, and they assure me Kina is history, dust, 
nocturnal memories that crawl only at night. I have lost count of days. When the memories leave, I stay awake filling pages of my journal with my single regret. I had no beard at that wedding. The pictures of me that went viral are one of a boy in a shiny suit. Quintus is visiting tonight, and we'll talk and laugh and laugh. Two bearded men. Brothers. He'll ask me how I am, and I'll tell him I am fine. There is poison in my fridge, and a knife under my pillow where his boxers used to hide. For weeks, I have not been sure exactly what to use. You look good today, bro. How are you? I nod. We hug and I show him to a bed he has used for more than just sitting. We pour our first shots, clink glasses and gulp it at once. And then we both tear into laughter as if there was a joke in the drink. I'm sorry she left you, bro, he says when we are calm and I look at him. Me too, I say. Lately I have been drinking too much coffee rum without the coffee. The end. So I found this story very, very rich, especially given its length. It's quite a short story, but it deals with quite serious and quite really interesting topics like mental health, masculinity, infidelity, you know, strange family dynamics, things like that. In the beginning, we're introduced to our protagonist. And from my readings, presumably a middle-aged man, and he has just lost his fiancée, who we dated for about 19 years. By the sound of things, he's quite depressed. He's been drinking a lot, and he's quite unkempt. But he keeps denying that he's depressed by what happened to him. This pattern of denial is quite consistent throughout the story. See that he has been drinking what he calls coffee rum. But what he tells us initially is that he just likes the taste of coffee and that the rum, he's just adding it for effect. But by the end of the story, we realize that he's drinking coffee rum, but without any coffee. So he's just drinking rum. We also see this denial in the sarcastic comments that he's making throughout the story. The first one being that every person that he flirts with on the internet is some kind of amateur psychotherapist. But he's not actually talking to a real therapist and he's not talking to anybody about what happened to him. The next is that even when he talks about his wedding... The only thing that he admits to regretting about the whole situation was that he was clean-shaven and that he looked like a boy and he wishes that he had kept his beard for the wedding. And even when he's writing in his journal, even when he's in his privacy, that's the only thing that he acknowledges. He doesn't acknowledge any grief, any sorrow, nothing. But one of the things that he keeps repeating, though, throughout the story is that men don't get depressed. And it seems as if he has some view of masculinity and of himself as a man that he's not supposed to get depressed. And especially about a woman presumably leaving him. Even though his actions are those of a depressed person, doesn't admit that to anybody. He doesn't even admit it to himself. That he may actually be grieving a loss. Throughout the story, he does give us some detail about the relationship. It appears that he met Kina, his girlfriend, when they were in secondary school. And he helped to pay for her education. He was a, a taxi driver, I think. But many things have happened along the line, right? She has had a number of abortions without telling him. And perhaps more importantly, she has been having an affair with his brother. It's quite interesting that he admits knowing about the affair, but then he kind of helps his brother and 
his fiancée hide the affair from himself. One will ask question as to why he would behave in that manner, right? Why, why would you walk in and see your brother bed with your fiancé and then help them hide it and, you know, help them cover up pills and things like that? Why would he act in that kind of way? Is it that he, he just has a habit, you know, it's just a personality trait of his that he hides things that are unpleasant from himself? In which case, it would be consistent in the fact that He's hiding his depression from himself, right? He's not doesn't admit his emotions. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't let things bother him. Or, I mean, we don't really know. That's an interesting part of his psyche that we don't really have access to. We don't really know why he has this tendency or why this tendency of hiding things from himself shows up. There were also many other interesting things that I found in the story. I guess there was not enough space to develop them. One of them, which I found particularly telling, was the fact that Kina aborted all his children, but doesn't, you know, carry out an abortion when his Quintus is child. We don't really know why, but I think that there's something quite strange about that. It suggests maybe that Kina didn't really love him and never really intended to form a family with him. We don't really know why, right? Because we never really hear her side of the story. But anyways, by the end of the story, it's apparent that he's planning to kill his brother and that he had hired men to kill his fiancé and to fake a suicide note. That's a very stark way of dealing with betrayal. Oh, it's kind of strange that he could have confronted them at any stage, could have broken up with a girl, he could have confronted his brother or anything. He just went from presumably, you know, loving this woman to killing her and his brother. I also think that it's, uh, you know, the introduction of this at the end is a very, very brilliant plot twist by the author. And in some sense, it suggests that maybe throughout he's, he's, he's not lying about the fact that he doesn't feel, he doesn't feel any grief or he's not depressed about it. He is, he feels a sense of justice, sense of vengeance, right? He feels like he's, he's avenging his loss. He has no hard feelings about what happened. Anyways, that's it for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support the podcast, Please share it with others. You can also post about it on social media or leave a rating and review on iTunes. To catch the latest about the podcast, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Storytime with Bemsey. That's one word. Thank you very much once again, and I'll see you next time.